the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Say the word and you'll be free Say the word and be like me Say the word and think it Earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word. With your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. Well, today's session will be part six in this new series, 2024, The Bible. What is it good for? If you missed any prior sessions, simply access the podcast at faithtalk1360.com, spotify.com, or Apple Podcasts. And at the end of this program, I'll provide more details on these options. Last time in part five, that indestructible book, we singled out Shakespeare. Shakespeare's writings, composed between 1564 and 1616, since they existed around the time the 1611 King James Bible was being translated. We compared the textual accuracy of Shakespeare's writings and how well that accuracy was preserved. We discovered that all 37 of Shakespeare's plays, with us for just 450 plus years, are far more uncertain and corrupt than any of the New Testament manuscripts now some 2,000 years old. And all of Shakespeare's 37 plays have hundreds of readings still in dispute, readings that materially affect the meanings of the passages which they occur. Friends, the New Testament documents nearly 2,000 years old may be said to be so far settled by consent of scholars that any disputed readings must be related to the interpretation of words, rather than to any doubts of the actual words themselves. Well, friends, today's part six is lost in translation? Not. (laughs) So far, we've learned that the Bible is unique in its moral influence on all of Western civilization including establishing a basis for absolute truth. The Bible is unique in its continuity. In other words, from Genesis to Revelation, from the first book to the last. The Bible is unique in its circulation. To date, according to United Bible Societies, the Bible or portions of it has been translated into 3,658 languages. And last, the Bible is unique in its preservation. 
In other words, it's survival through time and attacks by its enemies and its detractors. In today's session, friends, let's see how the Bible is unique in its translation and why I'm calling it Lost in Translation Not. You see, friends, sometimes we're just not aware of the Bible's uniqueness in this area, how it stands out as the Book of Books in its translation history, which is really quite exciting. Last time we discussed the distribution figures for printing and circulating the Bible, and these numbers are truly impressive. The Bible exceeds by millions, even billions, any single piece of literature in history. Well, equally impressive is the number of translations of the Bible when compared to standard printed works of literature. Listen to some facts about the book translation in general and Bible translation in particular. Since I was involved in the mainstream corporate advertising and publishing world for over 20 years, this really interested me. First, most books are never translated into another language. Second, among those that are, most are published in just two or three languages. And third, few books see translations in the teens. That is, 13 or more translations. Yet, the Bible's statistics in this area are positively staggering, friends. The Bible, or portions of it, has now been translated into nearly 3,700 languages as of 2023, according to the United Bible Societies. And interesting enough, friends, 3,700 languages represent just over one-third of the world's 7,388 known languages, which represent the primary vehicle for communication for well over 90% of the world's population. Worldwide, no other book in history has been translated, retranslated, and paraphrased more than the Bible. In fact, the Bible was one of the first major books to be translated. Around 250 B.C., the Hebrew Scriptures, our Old Testament, were translated into Greek, now known as the Septuagint. See, friends, these Jews had been culturally Hellenized and had learned and been influenced by Greek culture and language over time, so that speaking Hebrew had dropped off somewhat. Additionally, both Old and New Testaments of the Bible have been rendered in languages that are without a written alphabet. The well-known and well-respected Wycliffe Bible translators have 3,177 staff members and 3,500 employees working with more than 900 different languages in some 57 countries to produce new or revised translations of the Bible. In fact, as of 2023, the complete Bible has been translated into at least 733 languages, the New Testament into an additional 1,658 languages, and smaller portions have been translated into 1,264 other languages. In 2022, a hundred million people had the chance to read the Bible or parts of it for the first time in their native language. 
Also in 2022, no less than 57 new language translations of the Bible or parts of it were finished. This is a record number of new translations in one year, aided by the cooperation of 150 Bible societies. The end result, friends, is that 5.9 billion people can now read the Word of God in their native language, their mother tongue. I don't know about you, but to me, this is exciting. Yet the challenges still march on. Only 724 languages have a full Bible, but praise the Lord, 1,617 languages have the completed New Testament. And praise the Lord again that 3,266 languages have work in progress. Yet one in five people are still waiting for the Bible in their own language. You see, friends, from its inception, the Christian belief system has been a missionary belief system, a missionary faith. The earliest versions of the New Testament were prepared by missionaries, originally known as apostles or evangelists, to work at propagating the Christian faith among people groups whose native tongues were Syriac, Latin, or Coptic, in other words, Egyptian. This same scriptural mandate has lived on and has fueled the passion for producing, reproducing, and circulating the Bible documents, being the incentive for translating the Bible into as many language groups as possible. And I have no doubt, friends, that many of you listening to me today are already familiar with these scriptural mandates. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen and 20, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus' words in Mark sixteen fifteen: Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And Jesus' words in Acts 1, 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Friends, I hope it's becoming obvious that we're living in a most unique time in history. We need to share our faith with a generation that's been psychologically and socially conditioned by the scientific method and scientific thought. Yet all the educational disciplines and fields of knowledge available to us, you know, science, history, archaeology, linguistics, etc., when examined honestly and forthrightly, without presuppositional biases, overwhelmingly testify to the accuracy of the Bible or corroborate its truth claims. And these unique times call for us as Christ followers to continue fanning into flame in the 21st century the missionary zeal exhibited by those first century Christ followers. This zeal was aptly expressed by the Apostle Peter in his first letter, 1 Peter 3.15, which has kind of become the mantra for this series, in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. In other words, see to it Jesus becomes and remains our master. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. I also appreciate Peter's exhortation in Second Peter three fourteen through seventeen. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. 
Christ. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, since you already know this, be on your guards that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless people. This made me think back to a true story about a clergyman who was seated in a dining car on a train, traveling along the Hudson River in the New York area. Sitting opposite him was an atheist, who, upon noticing his clerical collar, began a conversation. "'I see you are a clergyman,' said the atheist. "'Yes,' replied the clergyman. "'I am a minister of the gospel.' So the atheist continued, "'And I suppose you believe in the Bible.' Well, the clergyman, conservative and orthodox in his theological understanding, responded, Sir, I certainly do believe the Bible to be the word of God. The atheist then remarked, But, sir, aren't there things in the Bible you can't explain or understand? Yes, there are places in the Bible too hard for me to understand, the minister humbly replied. With an air of triumph, as though the atheist had cornered the preacher, he then proceeded with this question. Well, what do you do then? <clears throat> Unruffled, the minister went on eating his dinner, which just happened to be Hudson Chad, a tasty fish but noted for its bony structure. Looking up, he said, Sir, I do the same thing when eating this shad. When I come to the bones, I put them to the side of my plate and go on enjoying my meal. I leave the bones for some fool to choke on. <laughs> this made me think of a Mark Twain quote. It's not those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. An unbeliever once opened up and confessed to his friend, There's only one thing that mars all the pleasures of my life. Really, his friend replied. What is that? He answered, I'm afraid the Bible might be true. If I could know for certain that death is an eternal sleep, I would be happy. My joy would be complete. But here's the thorn that stings me, the sword that pierces my very soul. If the Bible is true, I'm lost forever. Friends, I remember when I was working in the corporate world in New York City, and my supervisor once commented, he thought the Bible was a mere compilation of the writings of some prophets. And by that moment, I knew he meant myths, you know, non-historical or embellished stories relegated to the dusty past with no relevance to life in the here and now. But as we're all hopefully seeing through this series, it's all about developing a greater appreciation for an understanding of this book of books, the book whose words on its pages are literally breathed out by God, the one true God. Well, we're able to hold on our hands, friends, the most unique collection of writings in existence. Now, friends, I'd like to unpack a brief portion of scripture found in Peter's second letter, which has been unfortunately poorly interpreted and therefore has led to an erroneous understanding of a related subject in the Bible. This is something that has not been lost in translation, but sadly lost in faulty reading and subsequently resulting in drawing a faulty conclusion. Friends, as the book of books, the Bible deserves our careful attention to respecting the 
way it presents materials for us to grasp. There is much contextual material to aid us in this process, and shame on us if we don't take the time to utilize it in the interpretive process. Well, let's pause here a moment. You're listening to A Word from the Word with me, your host, Pastor Tom. I value you as listeners, and A Word from the Word is listener-funded. Your financial partnership is vital to keep this program broadcasting, which also disciples Christians without a church home, and you who may have been hurt by the institutional church. Please join forces with me and A Word from the Word. Email me for the details on how to support this program at A Word from the Word at minister.com. Friends, we're living in challenging financial times, and ministries are not immune. A Word from the Word is still seeking to become fully funded and supporters are greatly needed. We'll repeat this info at the end of today's program. Well, friends, our scripture portion will be 2 Peter 3, 3-13. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. But the same word that presents heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly people. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear like a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare or burned up. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heavens and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Now, friends, I can just hear you saying, you see, I told you, the Bible says that with the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is just like a day. And I can also hear you reasoning to run to the defense that this allows for us to interpret the creation days of Genesis as if they were thousands of years instead of normal solar days. This, of course, would be an attempt to satisfy or placate the arguments of our evolutionist friends. But what we must realize here is that Peter, known as the Apostle of Comfort and the Apostle of Encouragement, now becomes the Apostle of Warning and Admonition. His goal here is to warn Christ followers about false notions of the second coming of Christ and the future judgment. So the context of his words here become the consummation of the world and not the creation of the world. So Peter is unveiling for us God's end-time program, particularly in relation to the coming judgment. And, by the way, Peter is actually making a connection back to Psalm 90, verse 4, and not the Genesis account of creation. The context of verse 4 in Psalm 90 says, 
You turn me back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men, for a thousand years in your sight is like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch of the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death, and they are like the new grass of the morning, though in the morning it springs up, by evening it is dry and withered. So these words of Peter in Second Peter, linked to Psalm 90, verse 4, help us understand the difference between our view of time and God's view of time, particularly as it relates to his plan and program of salvation and future judgment. You see, friends, God stands above and outside time. We are creatures of time. Time has been created for us, but when we view time in light of eternity, a thousand years seems puny, insignificant, like a day. My take is that Peter's point here is that although it seems like a thousand years to the scoffers, and they question whether God is really going to fulfill his plan and promises, God will eventually do just that, fulfill his promises. Amen? Friends, it may appear to us that God is slack or slow in keeping his promises, but he isn't. Right now he's exercising his patience so that more people may repent and come to a knowledge of his salvation and become saved. Amen to that too, right? And by the way, the clue is tucked in here, Peter's opening verses in Second Peter 3. The scoffers will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. I think there's a subtle inference here to what has come to be known as the modern theory of uniformitarianism by evolutionary scientists. Uniformitarianism proposes that changes in the Earth's crust during geological history have resulted from the action of continuous and uniform processes. Yet the evidence for a worldwide flood and the upheaval in the oceans and heavens that resulted have actually challenged the uniformity theory of how all the Earth's rocks and metals have been affected. This would naturally challenge some of the dating methods used to determine the Earth's age. Well, friends, Let's tie all these wonderful truths together with a common thread. As apologists of the Bible, we Christ followers owe it to ourselves to help clear away or remove obstacles to faith that many people erect. Our role in the process is to show people that faith in the God and Christ of the Bible is an intellectual and reasonable faith. It's not what we've often been accused of having, mere wishful thinking or a factless-based faith. As I've said before, from its inception, the Christian belief system has always been a missionary faith, carried forth originally by those apostles and missionary evangelists in the first century. We Christ followers today are living in a most unique time in history in terms of the tools that are available to share our faith with a generation that's been psychologically and socially conditioned by the scientific method and scientific thinking. All educational disciplines and fields of knowledge that are available to us, when examined honestly and forthrightly without presuppositional biases, overwhelmingly testify to the accuracy of the Bible or corroborate its truth claims. So you see, friends, I believe the challenge before us is to become armed and dangerous in a good way. We should be motivated and excited to not only learn the Bible well, its contents, but also learn as much as we can about the Bible's composition. And by that, I mean how our Bible came into existence, how our Bible became the book of books. 
What makes our Bible stand out in the smorgasbord of religious literature? Just what makes our Bible so unique and therefore worthy of consideration by any honest, intelligent person? So, friends, let's not lose our place in this communication process. Let's truly be ready to give an answer. An answer, a well-reasoned defense, so that we can clear away those obstacles to faith that common people erect or throw at us. Remember, the Bible is unique in its ability to stand up to its most adamant critics. There is no book in all of literature like the Bible. People have employed every conceivable method to destroy it, stamp it out of history altogether. The Babylonians tried and failed. The King Antiochus Epiphanes tried to destroy the Jewish religion and its sacred writings, but failed. The Roman Emperor Diocletian's edicts attempted to stamp out converts to Christ and their Bibles, but even he failed to eliminate the eternal word of God. Each and every attempt to ban it, burn it, destroy it, or tear it into pieces has failed and will continue to fail. A person genuinely searching for truth should certainly and seriously consider a book that has all these qualifications behind it. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're nearing the end of today's program. I sure hope it's been both inspiring and challenging. And please continue following along with me during this New Year series as I continue to bring evidence and share multiple ways we can defend our faith and our Bible, the Judeo-Christian Scriptures. And as promised, we'll close our broadcast with an email where you may write me and share your feedback on this New Year series or any other teachings you've heard on A Word from the Word. You may also inquire about how to help support A Word from the Word as this program is listener-funded. Friends, I love coming alongside those of you who may be without a church home at this time, or those of you who may have been hurt or wounded by the institutional church. Podcasts are accessible at either faithtalk1360.com, search the menu for a local program podcasts, then scroll to A Word from the Word, or spotify.com, and here, search for A Word from the Word with Pastor Tom. You can also access A Word from the Word on Apple Podcasts. And thanks to my friends and partners at ChristianBody.net, we're broadcasting in over 70 countries. If these teachings are inspiring you to grow and study God's Word more conscientiously, why not come alongside us and invest in the mission of a word from the Word, which includes sharing the gospel, discipling those without a church home, and even you who may have been hurt or wounded by the institutional church. Please make a one-time contribution or become a monthly partner this month. It will help us to move ahead in the black. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a word from the word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com. Three 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.